podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello everyone, welcome to this week's edition of the Spanish Football Podcast with me, Phil Kitramalides and Sid Lowe. It is a little bit later than usual. I was a bit busy this afternoon. I had to go to Madrid Zoo, so the recording was a little bit uh, pushed back. And then it was further pushed back because at the time we agreed to record, Sydney had to go out and get some pizza and then eat the aforementioned pizza. So we're now recording much later <laughs> than we usually do. Thanks for bearing with us. Um, hello, Sydney. Hello, the pizza wasn't that great, I'll, I'll be honest. Oh, well, uh, the zoo was fun, so, you know, at, Good. Least, uh, Good. at least one of us. Uh, one how, of us. how were the hippos? They're huge. They're huge. Yeah, I love the hippos. They're my favourites by a very long you way. You get so close to them as well. It's, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, um, it, was, it, was, it was pretty special. If you get too close at the point at which they start doing that thing where they, where they crap and wag their tail at the same time and literally spray it everywhere. You... <laughs> I have been at, I've been at Madrid Zoo before and genuinely had to start running to get out of the way. Wow. Okay, that must have been quite a sight. Um, it was amazing, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, mainly you running as well, but the, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> let's, uh, let's move away from Hippo's excreting and move on to what happened on match day three in La Liga. Uh, the Friday night game saw Mallorca beat Espanyol by a goal to nil. Fantastic result for Mallorca, who have come up. But two wins and a draw from their first uh, three matches and a joint top. Well, certainly they've got seven points like uh, five other teams at the top of the table. Espanyol, the only side in the division yet to score a goal. Uh, Valencia also played on Friday night. They continued their very strong start by beating Alaves 3-0. Then on Saturday, we had Athletic Club winning 1-0 at Celta Vigo. A very nicely taken in Yaki William goals, giving the Basques all three points. Uh, La Real beat Levante by a goal to nil. Elche and Sevilla played out a 1-1 draw. Uh, Yusuf and Nasiri scoring for Sevilla, but it wasn't enough. They dropped points for the first time this season. And Real Madrid uh, scored uh, a goal. Uh, by Danny Carvajal scored for Real Madrid as they beat Betis by a goal to nil at the Estadio Benito Villamarín, the game that you are at this weekend. Uh, then on Sunday, Barcelona beat Getafe by two goals to one at the Camp Nou. It wasn't an overly convincing performance from Barcelona, but they, they got the win. Um, you're still on holiday, Sid, the theoretical holiday in quote marks you're in the province of Cadiz and you didn't go to Cadiz 2 Osasuna 3 which is mind-blowing you went to another game in the province of Cadiz which probably wasn't quite as exciting no, <laughs> Osasuna, <laughs> no goals at all Osasuna were 2-1 down in the 91st minute and they ended up winning 3-2 it was very very dramatic there was also lots of goals and lots of excitement at Vallecas where Rayo beat Granada by four goals to nil. It's nine years since Rayo won a La Liga game by a four-goal margin. Fantastic. There were only 580 people in the stadium to, to watch it. Um, we'll, we'll maybe talk about that uh, later on. And then the final game of the weekend was Atletico Madrid 2, Villarreal 2. A really, really good game. A dramatic end as well. Villarreal looked like they were on course for three very impressive points. Their first win of the season. And in the 95th minute, Isamandi heads the ball into the back of the net in 
bizarre fashion. It's a stunning own goal. And Atletico salvaged a point. We'll start at that game. We'll start at the Wanda um, in a game that Atletico Madrid really should have won. Certainly if you look at the statistics and if you watch the game and see all the chances they created. Villarreal had two shots in the whole game. They scored two goals. Two very good goals, uh, it has to be said. But this is a game Atleti should have won and they very, very nearly lost. Yeah, uh, and, and as you say, it's, it's not just that they were rescued by a, by a last-minute goal, a goal that was, I think, as you know, I love to do the numbers, I think I'm right in saying 14 seconds before the end, or was it 24, 24 seconds from the end, um, but a ridiculous own goal. Uh, not really the fault of Isamandi, who scored it, more the fault of, of Ruli, who'd gone out of his goal for reasons that, that I can't fully get my head around. I guess it's that thing of goalkeepers wanting to receive the ball from defenders not straight on, but of course, the whole theory behind that is you don't receive from defenders straight on so that the ball doesn't risk going into the net. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you've gone out to the position to receive it diagonally and the defender hasn't seen you move, then it's going to yeah. go straight down the middle, which is exactly what happened. Um, it's difficult to know exactly where to start with this. And, and I suppose one of the ways to start is to start with what I thought was a lovely quote from Unai Emery when he finally turned up to do his post-match interview. And he says, I've been in there for half an hour kicking the walls uh, booting bottles around and remembering all of our mothers. Uh, now, for those not, uh, not acquainted with Spanish <laughs> swearing, when he says he remembers all of their mothers, I think what he means to say is he was going around very loudly saying how he was going to defecate on all of their mothers. Um, yeah. So he wasn't, he wasn't best pleased. Um, he then said, but look, now's the time for cold analysis. Now, part of the problem with that is that making a, uh, doing a cold analysis of this game is quite difficult in the sense that... It was almost too easy, but that doesn't help you very much because Atletico Madrid were dominant. Um, They had a corner, I think, in something like the 93rd or the 94th minute. It was their 16th. Villarreal had none. As you've already pointed out, Villarreal had only two shots. Atletico Madrid had 23 of them. Mm -hmm. Um, That said, apart from one absolutely fabulous save from Ruli in the first half, a really brilliant save from a Thomas Lamar, low low, low down to his left-hand side, I'm not sure... How many of those shots you would say were really clear chances? But I thought the performance there was one for was... Carrasco that was cleared off the line. That's here. that's right. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, I'd forgotten that one. The, the, I, I'm not. There's but there's no doubt. The header for Trippier was pretty clear. It was pretty. There's good no, as well from the cross There's no the doubt line. that this was a good performance from Atletico Madrid. Yeah, and then Much suddenly they find last them... week against Elche, I thought. miles better. And then, mm. then suddenly they find themselves a goal down early in the second half. Really nice run from from Jeremy Pino, who who set up both goals. Uh, mm. He drops it off for Manu Chigueros, and and I suppose it is strictly speaking an assist, but there's still an awful lot to do. It's a brilliant shot, really brilliant mm. shot from Chigueros. They then get a second, which actually is really awful defending from Jimenez and Savic, who kind yes. of bump into each other going for the same ball. And here's a question for you. And I hate to say this, as most of our listeners know, that we are extraordinarily biased to all things Uruguayan. Go on. But here's a question for you. What's happened to Jimenez? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a, it's a logical question. It's a fair one, uh, I think. He really isn't very good anymore, is he? When he was brilliant to start with. It's a combination of injuries, I suppose, and not getting continuity and so on. But, but it, he's, he's not definitely great. the third best in that back three. Yeah. <laughs> And if uh, and if Felipe gets his act together and gets fit, and hmm, who knows? Yeah. But um, yeah, um, Luis Suarez started for the first time this season and uh, scored. Obviously, mm. didn't do much else in the game, but he did score. That's what he's there to do. Off he came off, and 
he had ice on his knee and he looked a little bit, been through the wars, didn't look like someone who's going to play a huge amount of matches this season. I don't know. I don't think he's going to start that many. Mm. Mm. Maybe he will start lots of games, but then he won't finish too many, which is why they spent 25 million on Mateus Cunha, who came on for for the last 10 minutes. But he did what he's there to do in that score. Yeah, I mean, by the way, it's it's been confirmed that he won't be going with the Uruguayan national team in this this international break, which and we'll get well, on to that later on. Has caused, has, caused, yeah. has caused a massive fight between La Liga and 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 Comibol. but yeah. um, but I agree with you. And we said, didn't we, at the very start of the season that that one of the doubts we have about whether or not Atletico Madrid can defend the title, despite the fact that on the face of it, this team is every bit as good as last year. In fact, it's stronger because they've added Rodrigo de Paul to the team. The doubt was, I just don't see Luis having the same season as he had last year. I just don't Mm. see it. A combination of injury, a combination of maybe not driven by the anger that was there last year, just being another year older and so Mm. on. I think you're right. I think he will start most games, but I think he won't last 90 minutes very often. I think they will try very hard to rest him around Champions League matches, albeit, his, of course, his goal scoring record in Champions League is famously very, very poor indeed. Was it five years now without an away goal? Yes, that's true. It is. It's a long time. It's a long time. Let's see if he breaks that uh, anytime soon. Kieran Trippier back in the starting 11 as well, another important mm. player for, for Atletico Madrid. And you look at this team and you look at this squad and you think, this is the best squad in La Liga, isn't it? I think it is. I mean, as I say, the, the doubt, I suppose, with, 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 with Luis Suarez's position and, and I don't know how good Cunha is. I genuinely don't. I mean, you, you know, you've seen much more of him than me. I, I don't know. Well, I haven't seen much more. I no, but OK. All right. You've seen a few yeah. couple of games. Of me. I, I really don't yeah. know enough about him to, to be able to make that judgment call. But, but you look at how well they played last year. And I do think they were worthy league title winners. And I know that they, they, you know, they needed a couple of get-out-of-jail-free cards towards the end of the season. But they were the best team in Spain last year. I don't think there's too much doubt about that. I think adding Rodrigo de Pol to the team gives them something a little bit extra. And he didn't start yesterday but came on and, and played very well again. Um, and, and I think you're right. You do look at it and think this is the best squad. I, I would worry about that forward line a little bit, though. Um, mm-hmm. Also, the other thing I suppose, if you, if you, it depends if you want to look at this from an optimistic or a, positive, uh, or a pessimistic point of view. Um, yeah. In theory, if they can get Jao Felix back and playing well, they've got a really brilliant player on top of a league title winning team. Because apart from the first seven or eight weeks of last season, his contribution yeah. to them winning the league was relatively minor. And so if you get him back as well, you've got an extra really great player. Mm, I don't know where he fits in. Well, that's a question. You don't know where he fits in in this yeah. team. Yeah, I agree with him. But that's a, that's a problem for Simeone to try and, to try and solve. Uh, Villarreal still without a win this season. Three win, three matches, three draws. They should have got something more. They could easily have won all three of those those games. Mm. This was the closest they've come to winning, of course. They'd previously drawn nil-nil against Granada and Espanyol and coming into this game Unai Emery was being pretty positive he was saying look I've seen a lot of good things we're doing enough to win matches I'm not too worried yes we should have won but we're we're playing well I guess that's the same discourse still after seeing what his side nearly achieved at the Wonder and yet we should we should be expecting a bit more from the Europa League champions who have spent a heck of a lot of money well I mean, let's see, because obviously we're into the penultimate day of the transfer window. But so far, I believe, I believe, and I, I'm not going to absolutely um, stand by this because I, I might be wrong, but I believe Villarreal are the side that in terms purely of expenditure have spent more money than anyone else in Spain this summer. Yeah, yeah, uh, even, even, more, even more than Sevilla. 
Yeah, which is lovely. That's right for Spain. And we we were talking the other day, weren't we, about the doubts up front? But of course, they've got Dan Juma now, and they've got Dia as well. And we we were saying, yeah. you know, where's the extra striker coming from? And we were we were sort, sort of talking about talking about the surprise uh, departure of um, the name's completely gone out of my head. Who is it uh, gone? And we were saying, why did they let him go? My head, my mind's gone uh, completely blank. You've. Uh... You've, uh, this is why we need producer Al on the line. He's, yeah, we were, we were literally there. talking about it the other day and yeah. you said I was surprised that they let... And I can't even, my, my, my head's gone completely blank anyway. Whoever it was, they let go. Yeah. <laughs> they, they, they've, they've now remedied that and Anjuma scored, of course, the weekend, took it very nicely. He was only 15 minutes into his La Liga career when he, when he scored the goal. Fernino. And, and that's important. Fernino. Oh, Fernino, of course, because we were talking about having him, him having played well for, for Mallorca. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, you know, a young player has come through at, at Villarreal. By the way, the other one, Jeremy Pino, has come through at Villarreal. Looks such a good player. And if he gets, if he gets a regular opportunities this year, I think he'll play very, very well. He's got a little edge to him. And I think they can expect more as well. And, you know, defensively, this is a team that, that def- um, this is a team that last year drew 13 times. So all the way through yeah. the season, you never felt like they were going to get beaten easily by anyone. But they do just lack that little bit of something up front, despite having yeah. arguably the best Spanish striker around in Gerard Moreno. Um, they've been without Pau Torres, Dani Parejo and Samu Chukwese for the uh, yes, opening three games of the season. So when they come back, uh, maybe they'll look a little bit different. Let's move on and talk about Barca's 2-1 win against Getafe at the camp now. It ended up being a pretty difficult game, pretty tough game for Barca. It wasn't necessarily an overly convincing performance. There were some positives for them to take from it, not least Memphis Depay scoring for the second consecutive game and second consecutive stunning goal, really good, confident finish from the Dutchman. Also, a couple of youngsters coming on and and doing really well for Barcelona. Young Gavi and Nico Gonzalez coming on in the second half and showing some really nice touches as well. But there really did seem to be a, a lack of cohesion, a lack of fight in this Barca side. And Getafe played really well. They had more shots at the camp now than Barca did. Mm. It's the second time in the three games that Barca have had fewer shots than their opponents. Mm. And you look back and you think, I mean, look, we all know this. We're not naive. We're not stupid. We know that the post-Guardiola era is a different Barcelona. We know that the post-Luis Enrique era is a different Barcelona. We even know that the post-Valverde era is a different Barcelona. And we absolutely know that the post-Messi era is a different Barcelona. <laughs> but even so, you think about Barcelona. And I think in, the, in these last 10 years or so, even when they weren't winning games... It was very rare that they weren't the team that had the most shots. It was very rare yeah. that they weren't the team that completely dominated possession. And if you if you kind of looked at it, the game, you would say, well, yeah, Barcelona were the better team, even when they didn't play well. It was very rare that they were actually overrun by teams. Uh, and and these, so that's why I think these two games um, are are concerning. I think you're right. I think there is a lack of cohesion. I think in theory, and we've talked about this, that. If everybody's fit, then their starting eleven, I think, is as good as anyone's in Spain. But I think there's a lack of depth beyond that. And perhaps we saw a little bit of that this weekend with Sergio Roberto having to fill in the midfield. Although I personally quite like Sergio Roberto. It should be fine. Yeah, it should be be fine. Exactly. And and as I say, I've defended Sergio Roberto before because I know he's limited, but I think he (laughs) makes the right decisions. I think positionally he's good. I think his intelligence... Estella thinks he's limited as well. Yeah. Stella thinks everyone's limited who's not throwing a tennis ball for her. Um, so, so, you know, I think, I, I think there are some concerns there. And then there's that, that kind of defensive weakness as well. The, mm. the, the, the fact that they feel vulnerable to not very much. Mm. Uh, also, I mean, after the game, 
Ronald Koeman, who'd already had a little bit of a, a word before the game, and he was asked about Mbappé, by the way, and he said, you know, if Real Madrid have the money, then sign him. You yeah, know, he's one of the best players in the world. I want Mbappé too. And yeah. then that was part of a broader thing where he said, look, this is a problem, and this, this can't go on like this. And then post-game, he said... I want some more players. Now, in fairness, he put it in context and he said that I don't know if it's possible and if it's possible, we can do it. But there is a bit of me that thinks, why, why, why is... Stella, why is, this even, why is this even being discussed? You know, he knows the, the, the situation. Why, why is this even on the agenda? Um, well, the, they, they should be getting a little bit of money in. Elias Moriba looks like he's going out. Uh, they should get 15, 16 million maybe for him. They're going to get 1.8 million for Cucurella. Uh, joining Brighton, they're going to try and get Pjanic off as well in the next 24 hours. So, yeah, and Emerson's, right Emerson's going to Spurs, isn't he? Emerson looks like he's going to Spurs, which is a funny one, to be honest. But well, I mean, it's a funny one in so much as Barcelona executed their buyback clause for nine yeah. million, presented him, and, because, and this, by the way, tells you that they weren't executing it in order to sell him because mm. they presented him and they presented him as, yeah, this is matters and this is part of our, yeah, our construction yeah. for the new season. And this just goes to confirm something that we've talked about before which is that really and truly with the exception I would say of Frankie de Jong uh, Pedri and Ansu exactly possibly Ter Stegen, Stegen but I yeah. think even Ter Stegen if the offer had been big enough I think everyone is for sale in this squad hmm. um, very much very much for sale is Antoine Griezmann uh, very much not going anywhere is Antoine Griezmann yeah, but he didn't really do anything at the weekend. Again, he's had a slow start, I think, to this new season. Yeah, and I think it's look, it's a problem anyway because it's Antoine Griezmann, and because I think we forget really quite quickly how brilliant he was at Atletico Madrid. Obviously, a different style of team and so on, but how brilliant he was. I think we forget how significant he was in a French team that won the World Cup and reached a European Championship final. Uh, you know, genuinely a central figure in that French team. Yeah. I think as well, we sometimes overlook some of the good things he's done at Barcelona in the last couple of years. But this is a guy that they bought a year later than they wanted to. And put bluntly, he pissed them about a bit. Right now, I mean, he's entitled to, that's fine. But he did. That cost too much money and that now has been put in a position. And by the way, previous managers have said to Antoine Griezmann, basically, what are you frightened of? Take control. Go and play. Don't you know? It's up to you now. No yeah. one else is going to protect you anymore. Go and do this. You know, you, you're a good player. And Messi has gone now. And I know it doesn't work like this necessarily. And it's not necessarily as clear cut as this. But this was the opportunity in theory. This was not least because it was his position given to him at last. And it hasn't happened yet. Admittedly, I'm reluctant to go too hard down this route because it is only three games yes. and there is time. Yes. Okay. By the way, if you'd like to ask us a question, if there's something that we don't cover on this podcast that you want us to talk about, send us a question on patreon.com forward slash TSFP and we will cover it on our Q&A pod, which comes out every Tuesday. Come and join us and be a patron. We've got more patrons than ever. Over 1,600 people have joined us. It's a beautiful community of like-minded Spanish football lovers. So come and join us. and uh, It's good fun. Let's talk about Real Madrid, Sydney. You were mm. at the game, you were at the magnificent Estadio Benito Villamarín, which was 40% full, but sounded very, very loud yeah. on the telly. It looked 
like it was as close to being back to a proper football match as you can get at the moment in Spain. And Madrid didn't, well, I was going to say they didn't rise to the occasion. They ended up winning, which was the most important thing, but it wasn't a scintillating performance. Although, I think Carlo Ancelotti was very, very happy at the end of this game. He said, it's the first time we've conceded, we haven't conceded this season. Coming off the back of that catastrophic defensive performance at Levante managed to get the win so actually I think we all enjoyed the Levante game a lot lot more but he was much much happier after this win at Betis he was but with caveats uh, in that he said after the game um, he said it wasn't a great performance but as you say but he was happy the fact that defensively they'd been stronger but he also said that he was unhappy that in the last 15 minutes they lost that defensive solidity mm-hmm. and they could have been caught out again uh, and obviously there's a chance at the very very last kick of the game Martin Montoya who to be honest in the stadium I thought it was an awful miss having watched it back I think it's a less clear chance than a first four but he's still got a very good sight of goal and yeah. time I mean it's, and it's time. Martin Montoya on his left foot so Exactly, exactly. Um, And I think, look, one of the things that struck me is I thought Madrid started very well. And one of the things that was interesting in those first, I mean, it wasn't long. It was probably only 10 minutes or so, maybe 15, was how quick they were to look for Vinicius. There was an awareness that he played well, I thought, in the first couple of games. And there was a couple of, uh, very early on, there was a long crossfield ball. I think it was Casemiro straight to Vinicius. And they kept looking for him. And Vinicius was coming deep to win the ball back and turning and running at Betis. And Betis looked nervous. But that was about 15 minutes, 10, 15 minutes. And then for the rest of the half, Betis were the better side. I thought Madrid, to be fair to Madrid, I thought Madrid were very good for the opening 15, 20 minutes of the second half. And then it faded again. Mm. And they, they kind of took control. I thought Casemiro played well. I thought there were even moments from Isco again in midfield, which is very interesting seeing him begin something like a rehabilitation. Now, obviously, you know, we're, we're still not going to expect Isco to be Modric. But, you know, we, he, he, it may well be that Ancelotti can make him useful this season. And more importantly, that Isco himself can make himself useful. Mm. Um, but then... But then, you know, it was, it was that defensive seriousness. And, and then when Madrid scored, it was from a Betis attack. And yes. Juan Mi makes a terrible decision at the end of it, gives the ball away. And I was sitting with, uh, with Martin Einstein, who's a, a colleague here, a journalist here, works for, for ESPN. And when that attack broke down, we were sitting by the, by, in the front row. And Martin literally digged me in the ribs with his, with his elbow and said, goal. <laughs> and then you watch Madrid's counter-attack and it was indeed it did finish with a goal and there was that kind of thing how many that seconds was it Mad- Sid? how many seconds I actually don't know I, this is what? one of those rare moments when I didn't do the calculation but it can't be more than, more than 20 yeah. because it wasn't a foot straight I mean it was a counter-attack but then the counter-attack kind of slowed on the edge of the area and then went back to Benzema who put in a gorgeous ball by the way for, for Danny Carvajal and they scored mm-hmm. um, but that kind of ability to break through when the space opens in front of him is still there for Real Madrid um, but I think you're right. I think it was the defensive part of it that was important. I really liked Ancelotti's comments before the game, which I think tally with what he said last week. And he made this, this really nice comment where he said, I want us to be more pessimistic. And he said, we can't be optimistic all the time. And what he meant by that was, I want defenders frightened of, score, of conceding. I want defenders who are worried that they're going to concede rather than think, hey, I'll go up on the attack now. And it was, it was really nicely done at the end of the game. I think it was Ricardo Sierra on Canal Plus, or what's now Movistar Plus in Spain, said to Danny Carvajal, so which one are you, an optimist or a pessimist? And he said, oh, no, I'm very much a pessimist as a defender. You know, I'm the one that's thinking about the worst that can happen rather than the best that can happen. And I think, personally, that Danny Carvajal's significance for Real Madrid is too often overlooked. Mm-hmm. I think his return is really, really big for them. 
let's see how long he can stay fit for. Well, that's the problem, isn't it? Exactly. And the last couple of years, he's been injured a lot. Hey, Sid, do you think um, Real Madrid should try and sign Kylian Mbappe? <laughs> Give it a go, at least. Or, you know. <laughs> well, I mean... Tic-tac, tic-tac, tic-tac. Tic-tac, tic-tac. I don't know how this will end. Uh, I think it's in the hands of... Of, of the Qatari royal family, basically. Um, <laughs> I, I think, as I say, I, I think in a way, and we said this at the very start, that there was something slightly performative about the way that Madrid did this. And that was, I think, about expressing an idea, about sending a message, about a demonstration of uh, intent to Mbappe, to their own fans and so on. All of which means I think it maybe isn't the end of the world if they don't succeed. Because I think, obviously, the, the consequence of them not succeeding now, in theory, is them succeeding in 12 months' time. Mm. All right. Let's see. It's all going to be over in uh, the space of a few hours anyway, so we will know. Yeah, I'm, I, I don't know about you. I'm, I'm, like, I'm very much like this in the final days of the transfer window. There's a bit of me always thinks, ah, just forget it. Yes. Go to sleep for a few hours and then you'll know. One way or the other. Absolutely. <laughs> I always think there's, there's, a sort of a, there's a pointlessness about the final day, which I know is when all the excitement happens and everyone gets very kind of, you know, every little thing. But it's, this is the point at which you can stop now. There's, nothing's going to change anymore. In, you know, it's, it's between now and midnight. At midnight, you'll know. OK, uh, we will know. We will know mm, more or less this time tomorrow. So uh, let's see what happens. We have to talk about Valencia and their fabulous start mm. to the season under... Jose Bordalas. We put a tweet out on, on Saturday morning just highlighting some of the uh, uh, statistical metrics by which Valencia are leading, which were quite eye-catching given their, their new manager. We got quite a lot of stick from Valencia fans saying, why are you saying this? This is unacceptable. Um, you know, we're playing much better. Well, they were stats, right? So we're not saying anything. Yeah, stats. and then somebody, they're, they're somebody, an somebody did point out that, hold on, you should wait until the end of match day three when everybody's played the same number of games ah, before these good stats. Point. So, yes. so we've done that yeah. and Valencia still have got the most fouls per game <laughs> in, uh, in La Liga uh, after three match days. Much like mm-hmm. Getafe had the same most mm-hmm. number of fouls uh, last season as well. In terms of um, passing, the passing stats are quite uh, eye-catching as well. They have the third lowest pass completion rate and the fourth lowest uh, possession rate as well. So very much borderless um, tendencies for Valencia. Mm. But they actually played really well on Friday night against Alaves and there is a dynamism, there's an intensity about them. And if you take a squad which has talented players in it, which Valencia undoubtedly does, more raw talent there than there was in Catafe, and if you imbue it Agreed. with some of that yep. borderless aggression, of steel, feistiness, you have got potentially a recipe for doing something half decent this season. Let's go back to how you started. And you saying Valencia fans saying, I don't like the stats. They're completely wrong. They are completely wrong. And I'll tell you why they're wrong. Not because they're wrong to, to pick up on it or not because they're wrong to say, you know, but what about or wait to the end of match day three. They're wrong because you should be celebrating this. Not complaining that someone's pointing it out. This is what you were looking for. This is what you wanted. If you go to Bordelas, it's because you're making a, a what's the word? Um, you're making a virtue of this. This is what you're trying to achieve. And the fact, I think, I think in a way, the, the best part about this is that Valencia have done this so quickly. Mm. The Valencia's players have embraced this so fast and that that Bordelas identity is so clearly apparent so early on. Now look, caveat alert time. All right. One caveat definitely is the first game. 
Ugo Guillemon gets sent off after what was it, 46 seconds. Obviously, it takes three minutes for VAR to look at it. So it's actually sent off after three minutes, but after a challenge on 46 seconds. So they go down to 10 men. And Michel, the Getafe coach, and Getafe that day had much more of the ball, much more chances, much more shots. He said after the game, where he was asked about Bordelas' identity uh, and, and whether he could see it in Valencia already, he said, well, yes, but they were helped. And let's, you know, highlight, asterisk the word helped, because I don't think he means helped in the sense that, oh, this is good for them. But in terms of expressing that identity, they were helped by going down to 10 men, because that entrenches that idea of waiting deeper, mm. of being defensive, of going long, of being aggressive. And, and I, I, I think that... This isn't something for Valencia fans to recoil from. Unless, of course, you, you don't like it on a personal level. But at club level, in terms of the club decision, this is, this is what you're aiming at. And so if this is what's happening, that is a good thing. There's a phrase, and I, I'm worried that I'm going to get this wrong. I can't remember if I'm remembering it absolutely right. But there was a phrase that Valencia were traditionally a, a team that were... Um, was it Copero y Aspero? In other words, a cup team and an aggressive one, a nasty <laughs> one. And so there is this idea now that what Bordelas has done is recover some of that kind of traditional DNA of Valencia, which admittedly hasn't always been the case in recent years. It's not quite the same as Marcelino, although, you know, Marcelino was a counter-attacking manager and wanted a team that was physically very strong and very direct. Maybe there's some element of Rafa Benitez there and it's well organised. It's a, shall I use the modern parlance, it's a low block. It's playing from deeper and, and trying to break from there. Uh, that's aggressive and tough and has players that, that have that edge to them. But, you know, this is what you wanted, in which case, don't worry about it. You know, embrace it because this is the plan. And th- there was a moment at the weekend and there's a, an absolutely aimless ball up the pitch. I think it's, I can't remember which goal it is now. I think it's one of the goals Go anyway. On. I've got this moment in my mind. It's an aimless ball up the pitch and Maxi basically turns, shoulder charges the defender out of the way, watches this ball drop from about four million foot in the air and kills it dead. Yeah. Absolutely brilliant touch. And then just lays it yeah, off. It's the third goal, isn't it? And I think... It's the third goal, is it? Yeah, I couldn't remember the goal. Right, good. I'm, I'm glad it was a goal and not just a random moment. <laughs> and, and I just thought, that is Maxi all over. And we said after week one, you can't help look, watching Maxi and thinking, Bordelas has got his player here. Mm. Someone who, and again, forgive me for saying this, Valencia fans, but I'm, it's, it's true and I'm saying it as something that I think has to be embraced as a virtue. Someone who is strong, Dirty, cheaty, and a very good player. Uruguayan. And I, and I, and I, <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah. And, and, I, and I think, I think this, and, and obviously they've, they've, um, they've added uh, Marcos Andre up front as well, so that gives them something extra. I, I, if I was a Valencia fan right now, I'd be really, really optimistic about this. Mm. Carlos Soler scored uh, the second goal of the game. And oh, lovely goal. As well, his third of the season. Yeah, it's gorgeous. Scored in uh, all three of the games, and things are looking good for Valencia. Um, quick word about the crazy finale to Cadiz 2, Osasuna 3, as we <laughs> said, the game that you really should have been at, Sid. In fact, on the bonus, yeah, I know, the bonus I know. podcast um, last weekend, I said, this has got your name written all over it. And instead, you went to watch... Atletico San Luqueño against Nastic, and it finished 0-0. <laughs> right. Yeah. But you missed, as we said, a, a thrilling end to this game with Osasuna scoring uh, twice in injury time. There were three penalties in this game for for handball uh, and Osasuna definitely deserved to get something out of this game they didn't deserve to lose uh, I'm not sure Cadiz deserved to lose either but uh, Osasuna are getting their first win of the season their first goals of the season as well there were loads of teams who hadn't scored yeah. in the first two rounds of matches but now it's only Espanyol 
who are left. One of the other teams that hadn't scored in the first two round of matches were Raya Vallecano, and they <laughs> they scored three <laughs> in the first half, absolutely thrashing Granada by four goals to nil. It could have been more. Playing the first three match days without a central striker, without a central forward. They've got Randy and Teca, who is a, an attacking midfielder they signed from yeah. Fuenlabrada in the summer, playing as the most furthest forward player with Oscar Trejo supporting them. But they did absolutely brilliantly against Granada. Got a bit of luck. You need to get a little bit of luck. They had a deflected shot from Alvaro Garcia, which opened the scoring. And then a penalty, which... Really, really wasn't a penalty in the VAR. Really, mm-hmm. really, 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 really should have overturned, but they didn't. Uh, and then from then on, they looked pretty comfortable. Uh, a word about Granada as well, and about Robert Moreno, who was really sort of pugnacious and bullish in the post-match interview, saying, well, this team suffered defeats like that last season. So, you know, it's nothing new for this team. Kind of shifting the blame mm. and saying, we're already thinking about the next game. There was no sort of introspection there from yeah. Moreno, who I think might be the favourite to get sacked already. He's a new manager and this kind of defeat is never good. No, I, and I, I must admit, from the moment they employed him, I thought there was a risk that this would go wrong. I mean, it may well not because he's got very good players and, and, and clearly his approach... Um, in terms of the style, possibly suits some of those players, but I think it's it's such a it's such a leap from Diego Martinez. And I think, what do you call it in English when Spanish refer to it as un equipo de autor? This was very much the manager's team. This was Diego Martinez's team. Like it, yeah. it had his stamp all over it. It was about yeah. his force of personality. He is fantastically charismatic as well as the the, the technical and, and and tactical work that he does. The Why physical... did he leave, Sid? Why did he leave? I don't know the answer to that. I... There seems to be only two real things. One, he thought he was going to get the Valencia that's, job. B, he that's... thought that he'd taken this side as, as far as he possibly could. Um, I think both of those things are true. I think um, both of those things are true. I think there was, an awareness, there was an awareness last year that they'd overachieved. And I think those two things are true and necessarily came together. So there was an awareness that they'd overachieved that now was the time to go to a bigger club. And that that bigger club was going to be Valencia. And obviously things are looking good. Valencia have got bored last. For what it's worth, I think, had they got Diego Martinez, they would have had a good season as well. Um, and and, and it, it just feels like a pity. And it feels like Robert Moreno is, is such a shift in a different direction. Mm. I think in terms of personality as well, in terms of his ability to... to what do you... What be likeable? Yeah, to relate to his players. Yeah, yeah, yeah to relate to his players. And, and I, think, I think you're right. That, that post-match interview at the weekend was... <sighs> I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, maybe it's a bit unfair on us to look at it from an, a kind of an impressionistic point of view and, and maybe he's completely brilliant and, and so on. But, you know, bear in mind that I followed him a bit with the Spanish national team. But it just came across as... I don't know, it, it didn't feel quite right, did it? It, it no. came across as, as, as sort of a, a touch of arrogance. Striking. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I agree with you. I agree with you. Yeah. All right. Um, listen, we, that's just about all we've got time for. Before we go on the... Uh, Segunda front, Pomferradina are top on nine points. Three wins out of three win three so far. They beat Girona 2-1 on Saturday. Valladolid and Sporting boo, are next on seven <laughs> points. Uh, Valladolid won 2-0 at Lugo and Sporting beat Mirandes 2-1. Hesse scored a penalty, his second goal of the season as wow. Las Palmas beat Huesca 2-1. And there were some surprise results. Ibiza winning 2-1 at Leganes. Yes, Estela, Ibiza. Yes. I know, right? <laughs> Incredible. Uh, so there we go. We didn't mention uh, Oviedo's nil-nil draw with Tenerife. Oh, God. To talk about. Uh, honestly, rubbish. 
listen, like I said, that's all we've got time for on this podcast. There's loads of stuff we haven't talked about. We haven't talked about Sevilla and then potentially keeping Jules Koundé and their potential title push. We haven't talked about uh, Messi's debut for uh, PSG and how that was viewed here in uh, in Spain. We haven't talked about aspects for, of Atletico Madrid, Real Madrid. Anything you want to ask us, send us a question. We've got the Q&A pod coming up tomorrow for patrons and we'll get through all of your questions. So join us, patreon.com forward slash TSFP. Uh, we're going to have that uh, out tomorrow. Then we'll have a bonus pod later this week looking at the end of the transfer window and the international break. Plus, a new series of TSFP Presents starting for patrons next week when Sid is finally back from this <laughs> unacceptably long um, theoretical holiday. So come and join us at patreon.com forward slash TSFP. Otherwise, we'll still be back here next Monday. Don't worry. We always are. See you then. Adios. Cheerio. Network.